Welcome back to The Most Interesting Person You Know. My name is Natalie Chandra, and I'm probably not the most interesting person you know, but I am really interested in a whole bunch of things. Each season, we focus on a new topic, and this season, we're focusing on nuclear weapons. At the beginning of each season, I interview someone that I know who is really interesting, and at the end of that interview, I ask them who is the most interesting person they know. I'm Natalie Chandra, and this is The Most Interesting Person You Know. This is the first half of my chat with Tim Wright. Tim is actually based in Melbourne and very kindly Skyped in, which is why this audio has that great tinny vibe. Tim is the Asia-Pacific Director for the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, otherwise known as ICANN. ICANN first opened in 2006 in Melbourne, Australia, and have worked to create a global coalition of non-government organisations against nuclear weapons. They have had a major hand in the implementation of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which earned them the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017. Tim has been working with ICANN since the very start. He has been a representative for ICANN in front of the UN General Assembly and on the international stage. Welcome, Tim. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you very much, Nat. All right. um, So, Tim, how did you get involved with ICANN? I was actually still at uni. I was studying law and international relations. I was working part-time for a senator, Lynn Ellison, and she was very much interested in the international process towards a ban on cluster munitions. And I guess that's when I got really interested in disarmament. I got to know a number of activists in Melbourne who were working on that issue and similar issues, uh, including doctors involved in the Medical Association for Prevention of War. And they actually secured a grant uh, to set up ICANN. And they approached me and said, uh, is this something you would be willing to help us set up? And of course, I jumped at the idea. And it was really exciting for me as someone who was studying international law to think that I could help uh, create new international law on an issue or to you know address a threat so uh, grave for the whole of humanity. I was planning to take a uh, semester off to travel through Africa and one of the people um, who helped set up ICANN, Felicity Ruby, uh, said to me, well, why don't you use that as an opportunity to promote the campaign there? We really need African countries to be uh, supporting this treaty. I also, on that trip, ended up in Vienna, which is where we had our kind of international launch of the campaign. And I remember the Australian ambassador said to me, well, what we really need is an event. And I thought at the time, I thought initially that she was referring to some kind of big concert that would (laughs) draw public attention to the, the threat. And nuclear weapons but of course she was referring to a nuclear attack or some kind of major nuclear accident that would really alert people to the danger of these weapons and I just thought well you know no we can't sit around waiting for that to happen that really that really shocked me and and spurred me on I guess uh, and it's been such an amazing process to be part of for the last uh, 10 years, building the government support and building our coalition of organisations. And I think we now have a really incredible tool at our disposal, the treaty, uh, mm-hmm. to really change the way that these weapons are perceived and bring the era of nuclear weapons to an end. 
For some context, when Tim mentions the treaty, he's talking about the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which ICANN has been working on passing through the UN since its inception in 2006. ICANN is a non-profit activist organization that works with a range of different organizations and groups to help abolish nuclear weapons. We really wanted to emulate the success of another uh, global grassroots campaign um, being the international campaign to ban landmines. Um, and they had managed to, uh, within a fairly short period, galvanise global support for the anti-personnel mine ban treaty. So we looked at how they had done that and learnt lessons and set about trying to replicate that success. The Ottawa Convention, also known as the Anti-Personnel Mine Ban Treaty, was the first example of humanitarian control where states agreed to control commonly used weapons for human rights and human security reasons. This treaty has been one of the world's most accepted treaties, with stockpiles of over 2 million mines destroyed between 1997 and 2015. However, 61 countries still have anti-personnel mines, and the amount of victims are in the thousands per year. In 2016, 56 countries were studied and it was found that 78% of landmine victims were civilians and at least 42% were children. The Ottawa Convention is an interesting subject to debate the success treaties can have, particularly over norms and influences. This is Jodie Williams, who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1997 for her pivotal work in helping the Ottawa Convention pass. We were called utopian when we started this campaign. We may have had a utopian goal, which has turned into reality, but we're not idiots. Obviously, there are 100 million landmines in the ground. It's going to take a while to clean up that mess. It's going to take a while to affect the lives of the victims, affect the lives of communities living in the midst of landmines. What this treaty has done, though, is establish a new norm of behavior. Whether you think that the work of Jody Williams and the Ottawa Convention as a whole is successful or unsuccessful, it definitively stands as the first step for the humanitarian disarmament movement. What were the main lessons that you got from that movement? Because I know that they um, banned landmines in about 1997. Yeah, that's right. So uh, one of the key lessons was that we should focus on humanitarian consequences, looking at what these weapons actually do to people and the environment when they're used. And another lesson was that we should form close partnerships with like-minded governments. Uh, and this really isn't something that we had seen uh, a great deal in the nuclear disarmament sphere. Previously, a lot of the work had been focused on simply pressuring those countries with nuclear weapons to give up their weapons. Uh, but we really set about pressuring countries without nuclear weapons to take this threat more seriously. So I guess they were the, the two key lessons that we took from the landmines campaign. So how do you kind of carry out action as an organisation? We wanted to keep the international structure fairly lean and not have a huge budget and a huge staff, but rather to really have the campaign as simply a message and an organising vehicle. And I think that's allowed us to work quickly and effectively, and that's how we've been able to have such a wide reach and influence so many governments. Amazing. So um, as the director of the Asia-Pacific, you're in the unique position to be responsible for ICANN's like, actions in what is 
the hottest area in the world. What does your role entail and how has that been changing in the last year or like the last five years? Well, in the last year, we've, of course, had uh, mm-hmm. the heightened tensions uh, mm-hmm. between the US and North Korea. Uh, I visited uh, South Korea late last year. I went to the demilitarized zone and we really emphasized on that trip the importance of the new UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons is the first international agreement to comprehensively prohibit nuclear weapons. As opposed to the NPT, the 2017 Treaty is legally binding. Passed on the 7th of July 2017, the Treaty prohibits the states party to the Treaty from developing, testing, producing, manufacturing, acquiring, possessing, or stockpiling nuclear weapons or other nuclear explosive devices. If you sign, you are not allowed to transfer or receive weapons, have control, or provide any other assistance nuclear-related. You are not allowed to have any stationing, installation, or deployment of nuclear weapons in your territory. The treaty is unique for its basis in the humanitarian initiative, where it was pushed through by non-nuclear states, as opposed to the NPT, which was pushed by five nuclear states. When you've got this very real danger of of nuclear war, it's all the more important for countries to be uh, speaking out. And we don't expect that this treaty will resolve the crisis immediately, but we do think that it lays the foundations for a nuclear weapon-free world. Yeah, and I guess for your work for that treaty, you did get the Nobel Peace Prize. Congratulations again. ICANN has been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for 2017. The Nobel Prize is named after Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite. He was mistakenly confused with his brother when Ludwig Nobel died and a French newspaper wrote, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Alfred was distraught that he would be remembered this way and used his considerable fortune to create the prize for people who had contributed to humanity. When it first began, the prize came with enough prize money that would support a scholar for 20 years. Currently, the prize money is roughly $1 million. Nobels are decided by the committee appointed by the government who invite qualified people to nominate winners. An interesting fact is that of the five Nobel Prizes, physics, chemistry, physiology or medicine, and literature are decided by a committee put together by the Royal Swedish Academy. However, the Nobel Peace Prize is decided in Norway. While the prize was first regarded as highly prestigious for its significant prize money, the award has become one of the most valued prizes in the world for the tradition and the company it puts you in. It does say a lot about the current climate. Yeah, I think that uh, the Nobel Committee did want to send a signal that there is an alternative pathway forward, um, that uh, we don't have to accept nuclear weapons as a permanent fixture in the world. Uh, It's also a recognition of the historic significance of uh, the treaty. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's no multilateral treaty that's been negotiated in the past uh, 20 years on nuclear disarmament. Uh, so this was a, a huge uh, step forward uh, at, a, at a time of great international crisis. But the treaty isn't a response to the Trump administration because the process uh, leading to the treaty negotiations was going on for many years before President Trump was elected. What was kind of ICANN's role and what was your role in kind of getting that through? So one of the first 
steps was to influence the non-proliferation treaty view process. Uh, so the non-proliferation treaty has been very successful in stopping the spread of nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, less successful in actually getting rid of those weapons, to, and it doesn't establish a, a categorical ban. After nearly a quarter of a century of danger and fear, reason and sanity have prevailed. That was President Lyndon Johnson in his presidential speech after signing the NPT. He described the treaty as the most important international agreement since the beginning of the nuclear age. The NPT, as discussed with Brendan last episode, was a treaty signed in 1970, where the five nuclear states committed to pursuing disarmament and non-nuclear states promised to forgo acquiring nuclear weapons. The conclusion of this treaty encourages the hope that other steps may be taken toward a peaceful world. Since it's been signed, there's been a significant change in technology. There have been significant technological developments, as well as international politics. North Korea is no longer part of the treaty, withdrawing in 2003. India, Israel, and Pakistan also have not signed. There has been no other treaties or agreements or laws that address the changes in international politics and technology until last year. We wanted to create a treaty that would establish that. We took that idea to a meeting. Uh, It was rejected by the nuclear armed nations present, but it had a lot of resonance with uh, the rest of the states. We had lengthy discussions about how we could proceed with this idea, uh, and we also ensured that that meeting, uh, the NPT, was able to acknowledge that nuclear weapons have unacceptable humanitarian consequences. That led to a series of uh, intergovernmental conferences examining what these weapons do. And we also had representatives of uh, the Red Cross and various UN agencies all kind of saying that if a nuclear weapon were used anywhere in the world, we would be utterly powerless to respond and uh, the consequences would be far-reaching and long-lived. And the only way to prevent the use of nuclear weapons is to eliminate completely. And another key kind of aspect was even if a country is not itself targeted uh, in a nuclear attack, could still be profoundly affected through the radiological impacts as well as, for example, climate impacts or the impacts on migration. And that really helped to firm in minds of many diplomats that action was necessary and urgent. That's really interesting. But the level of stigmatization, we've talked briefly about how ICANN drew from the landmine movement, but also the other weapons of mass destruction, there's been a very significant level of stigmatization where they've differed. So where chemical and biological have been banned in 1993 and 1972. So why do you think the level of stigmatization has differed so much from other weapons of mass destruction? I think ever since World War II, there has been an attempt to mask the true reality of what these weapons do. There's a high level of abstraction that we don't see in uh, discussions about chemical and biological weapons. There's never been the notion of a chemical deterrence or biological deterrence, and yet we talk routinely about nuclear deterrence. And in fact, if you look at some of the literature of nuclear armed nations, Mm -hmm. when they're talking about their own weapons, they often don't even use the term weapons. They use the term deterrent. They've totally changed the, the discourse 
to make it about an abstract theory rather than human lives. And that's what we've uh, tried to change. And that's what really helped us to get to the treaty negotiations. The difference in discourse and that control of discourse, have you, in your 10 years with ICANN, like, have you identified why that is? Or is it just kind of habitual? Well, I guess it's because these weapons are so awful and clearly genocidal. And people in positions of power, countries with these weapons, uh, don't feel comfortable talking about what the weapons are actually designed to do. So it's kind of a cognitive dissonance. And I think we really need to be clear that these are immoral weapons, not only the use of them, but also the possession of them. So I guess with that sort of framework, the difference between knowledge of the obliteration that these weapons can cause, but also countries who haven't signed on to the treaty, such as Australia, having them not be in our national interests. So so what does that mean? And what interests are we as a country prioritising above nuclear abolishment? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly in our national interest to advance nuclear disarmament. It's in the global interest to eliminate these weapons and, and ensure that they're never used again. The nuclear armed nations have been promising for decades that they'll pursue negotiations for nuclear disarmament and the results have been very limited and countries like Australia part of the reason for that. Uh, Australia argues that these weapons are essential for our security through the US alliance, that if we were ever threatened with nuclear attack, the US uh, should use its nuclear weapons in our defence. And so we're very much giving legitimacy to the weapons. We have seen through our FOI research that Australian officials have actively encouraged the US to ensure that its nuclear arsenal is strong and effective. And so we're not only impeding disarmament, but we're also inciting proliferation. What message does this send to a country like North Korea Mm -hmm. when Australia is out there arguing that nuclear weapons are a legitimate and necessary form of defence? And again, this has been a big part of our campaign to show the problem of nuclear weapons uh, extends beyond simply the nine countries that possess them and you know, extends to many of their allies, including uh, Australia. There's a group of you know, 30 or 40 countries that argue these are acceptable weapons. And we're hoping that through this treaty, we can uh, change the position in many of those countries. So that was part one with my interview with Tim. Stay tuned to part two where we talk about the ongoing implications of the treaty and the limits of civil society. If you're interested on anything that we've talked about, I would encourage you to go to our Facebook page, Chatterley with Natalie, or follow us on Instagram at ChatterleyWNatalie. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Natalie Chandra, and this is The Most Interesting Person You Know.